0: Well, all right, how we doing this morning, everybody? Great. Man, it is good to be together, and it's great to have you. Like Clark mentioned just a moment ago, if you are a guest with us, and so if it's your first time here at Grace Church, we do just want to extend a very special welcome. Thanks so much for being our guest, and we hope that you feel welcome. And uh, hopefully, if you have a chance, if you're newer here to Grace, hopefully you don't have to jet too quick. And so if you are able to stick around, even just for a little bit, maybe get to know someone that you haven't met before, I would love uh, to meet you, love to hear your story, and I know there's others that would too. And so we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. Uh, But if you are a guest, or maybe if you missed the past uh, week or so, you're actually catching us today uh, in the second week of a series that we've been calling We. And in this series, uh, what we're doing is we're actually taking uh, just a short amount of time, just four weeks, to process through some of our Grace Church values, some of the values that we have here at uh, at Grace Church. So one of the things you might not know if you're someone that's newer to Grace or maybe it's your first time here, is you might not know that Grace is a little bit of a unique church. And so we are uh, what is sometimes called a multi-campus church. And so Grace is one church that exists in eight different campuses. And so you are currently sitting in one of our eight campuses. This is the Medina East Campus. This is the best of, Uh, all of the campuses Um, yeah I know it's true and uh, of course I'm partial to that but I also speak truth And so that's just, that's there. But uh, this is one of those campuses. And really when people say, what makes Grace Church, Grace Church? You guys are one church. Like what is it that makes you one church? And we'd actually say that there's three things that do that. And it's that we share a common vision, we share a common mission, and we share common values. That there's eight values that we are kind of tied to together as a church that basically are deep seated convictions that kind of help orient us and direct us and align us As a church. And so we talked about this a little bit last week, and what we said is we said that these values, we didn't just pull these out of thin air. Uh, These aren't just invented by a group of people. We said that these values actually stem from very deep biblical convictions. And so all of these values, what you're going to see is it's us trying to articulate firm and strong biblical convictions that we have that we said we wanna organize ourselves around these values. We wanna make decisions based on these values. We wanna move forward in alignment kind of centered on these values. And so because of that, what we said is, we said that for those who are part of Grace Church, which I know is not everyone that's here today, we said that these values are really important because these are values that we want to pursue corporately. And so these are values that those of you who call Grace Church home that we're saying, man, we wanna sail in the same direction, And this is kind of what we wanna organize ourselves around, align ourselves around. But also we said that this is also true for every follower of Jesus. These are values that we don't just wanna pursue organizationally or corporately. We also wanna pursue these personally personally. And so for every follower of Jesus, we said these values reflect deep biblical convictions. And so we think they should show up in the life of every person who follows Christ. And so if you're a Christ follower, I think these are going to be very valuable for you as well. I know that not everyone here today is a follower of Jesus. Some of you are still trying to figure out where you are with Jesus and with Christianity. If that's the case, by the way, we're so glad that you're able to be with us. But we also think this conversation will be helpful to you. Because like we said, we think that behind these values are some of the kind of the basic and core beliefs of the Christian faith. So last week, we actually talked, we spent our entire time talking about our first value. And the value that we talked about last week was this. We talked about we live to make Jesus make sense. We live to make Jesus make sense. And we spent the whole week last week unpacking. What do we mean by that? We live to make Jesus make sense. Where does that show up in scripture? Where's that found in the Bible? How are we pursuing that personally? And how do we pursue that corporately? And so we kind of spent all week doing that last week. If you missed that conversation, by the way, you can always catch that on our website, our app, our podcast. Podcast, all of those platforms are free, and we'd encourage you to do that. But this week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend our entire time thinking about another one of our values. And the value that we're gonna be thinking about today is this one right here. We're gonna talk about we do hard things. Okay, so this is the value that we wanna kind of press our minds down on together, think about together, we do hard things. And this value um, is really, we kind of have a description statement that comes along with it. And here's the description statement. We say it this way. When given two options, we will choose the one that no one else wants to tackle, that we intentionally will go where hope is hard to find. Okay, so that's the value. We do hard things. Here's how we articulate it. When we're given two options, we're going to choose the one that no one else wants to tackle. And we intentionally are going to go where hope is hard to find, that we're going to do hard things. So I want to spend some time thinking about this. What's behind this value? I think it would be helpful for us to start here. Let me tell you what this value is not saying. Okay, so this might be helpful. When we say that we do hard things, what we don't mean is this. We don't mean that we do hard things simply because we like to do hard things. And that's not what we're saying. We don't do hard things for the sake of hard things, right? It's not like we choose discomfort and we choose to inconvenience ourselves and we choose to do something painful simply because we enjoy pain and inconvenience and discomfort, like that's not what we're saying when we say we do hard things. Like, so for example, just a silly example, it's obviously easier to sit on nice comfortable chairs during this service than it would be to stand on shards of glass, right? Stand on shards of glass for the next 40 minutes would clearly be harder. And so we're not saying, hey, we're committed to doing a hard thing. So we're gonna stand on shards. The ushers are gonna come around and put glass on the floor. We're gonna do that because that's what we do. We do hard things. Okay. Now, just to be clear, the value is we do hard things. It's not we do dumb things, all right? So that's really important. And there can be a fine line there sometimes, right? And so what we're saying is, no, 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 no. This is a different kind of conviction. And it is basically, when we say we do hard things, what's behind this is that there is a certain, we're trying to articulate a certain mindset that we are committed to pursuing together, individually and corporately. We're trying to articulate a mindset. And again, where does this mindset come from? Well, that's what I wanna talk about today because actually this value, the place where this value comes from is actually from a particular passage of the Bible. And that's the passage I wanna take you to here today. And that is Philippians chapter two. Okay, so if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles with me. Let's turn to Philippians chapter two. This is gonna be our anchor passage today. So we're gonna be spending pretty much our entire time just looking exclusively at this one passage. So it'd be good if you had it in front of you. So Philippians two, go ahead and get there. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, you can use one of our Bibles under the chairs, page 819. Uh, Feel free to go ahead and find Philippians 2. It's a small book. It can be kind of hard to find. So uh, page 819 is where that's at. And then let me also just say, if you don't own a Bible, so if you don't physically own a copy of the Bible yourself, uh, just feel free to take one of ours. We would love for you to have a copy of the Bible from us to you, okay, Philippians 2. Now, as you're finding Philippians chapter 2, I just want to stress again that when we say we do hard things, we are trying to articulate a certain mindset. It is a certain mindset. And I'm saying that word on purpose because I think it's so important to this conversation. So just to kind of get us on the same page, let me give you a basic definition of mindset. All of us know what a mindset is, but if you were to go on to basically any online dictionary, so this one, for example, comes from vocabulary.com, here's how mindset is defined. So all of us know this, but just for the sake of clarity, mindset is a habitual or characteristic mental attitude that determines how you will interpret and how you will respond to situations. Okay, so that's what a mindset is. Again, all of us are familiar with this. But what is a mindset? It is a habitual. That is, it is an ongoing. It is a reoccurring. It is a regular, characteristic men- mental attitude. And so, it's your mental attitude. It's your thoughts. It's what you believe about things, and it determines how you're going to interpret, and then how you're going to respond to situations and circumstances in your life. So, your mindset is your collection of thoughts and beliefs that shape the way you view the way you the way you view the world, and shape the way you view yourself and shape the way that you interact in that world that you see, right? So all of us know what a mindset is. So for example, for example, if you were a person who had an environmentalist mindset, some of you might be people who have an environmentalist mindset, what are you saying? Well, you're saying that there is a certain habitual characteristic mental attitude that you have about the way that you view the world and the way you view yourself in that world. And that's gonna manifest itself, not only in your beliefs, but also in your behaviors gonna show up in what you do, right? So if you're a person who's an environmentalist, you might, when you go shopping, you might bring your own bags. And why would you do that? Well, it's a behavior that is prompted by a certain mindset of how you view the world, how you view yourself, and how you view your responsibility in that world. Or how about this? Some of you are business owners in this room, and someone might say about you that you have an entrepreneurial mindset. Now, when they say that, what are they saying? They're saying you have a different way of viewing things, viewing the world and the circumstances that surround you than other people do, right? Where other people see obstacles, you may see opportunities. Where other people see barriers, you see a challenge to be resourceful or to be creative in ways that other people don't see that. And so that's gonna affect the way you view fact patterns. That's the way you're gonna view relationships. It's gonna affect the way you view everything and your behaviors in life, right? And here's the thing all of us know about mindsets. Like all of us know this. Mindset is incredibly powerful. Your mindset is unbelievably powerful because you can have two people who are in the same circumstance with the same fact pattern who interpret that very differently and believe very different things about their world and about themselves because of that mindset. Reminds me of the old joke. You guys ever heard this one before? What's the difference between the mindset of a dog and the mindset of a cat? Did you ever hear this before? So a dog, a dog looks at its reality, looks at its fact pattern, looks at its owner and says, you feed me, you take care of me, therefore you must be God. That's what a dog says, right? (laughs) Cat, on the other hand, looks at its owner, says, you feed me, you take care of me, therefore, I must be God, right? That's what a cat says. Different mindset, which again is just proof that cats are indeed spawns of Satan himself, (laughs) competing for the glory of God, right? We speak truth here at the Medinaeus campus. (laughs) How did that get in there? Shoot. But it's true, right? So mindset, now here's the thing. As it relates to mindset, you can talk about the mindset of, of, a, of an environmentalist. You could talk about the mindset of an entrepreneur. You could talk about the mindset of a cat. Here's the question I want to pose to you this morning. For those who follow Jesus Christ, and I know not everyone here today does, but for those of us who do, what should the mindset of a Christian be? How, how are Christians, to view the world, to view themselves, and to view the circumstances that they're in, what is, what is the habitual or characteristic mental attitude that determines how you will interpret and respond to situations for those of us who follow Christ. I'll tell you, that's a loaded question and it's an important question. And what I love so much about the passage that we're about to read is it's actually going to tell us, it's gonna say, this is Jesus's mindset and this therefore for those who follow him is the same mindset that we are to pursue and take on ourselves. So let's take a look at this. Philippians chapter two, it's a very famous passage. We're going to start off in verse three. And here's what it says. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each one of you to the interest of others. All right, let's just pause there for a minute. Some very, very famous verses. In fact, if you're a person who grew up around the Bible, my guess is that you're familiar with these verses. Maybe you even have them memorized because they're so powerful and they're so popular. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit, but in humility, value others as above yourself, looking not just to your own interests, but looking out to the interests of others as well. It's a beautiful passage, beautiful passage, an incredible heart, but I think we have gotta be real honest. This is also a very tall order. Uh, This verse right here, the bar is so high, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Consider the needs of others above your own. This bar is so high, let's just think realistically, there is no way that any of us in this room can do this on our own. We just can't, it's impossible in our own effort to live a life like we see here in these verses, which is why I love that the apostle Paul is gonna go on and the very next verse, he's gonna tell us how Where are we gonna get the power to live like this? Because this does not come instinctual to any single one of us. Well, he's gonna go on and look what he says. Here's what he says in verse five. In your relationships with one another, have the same, here's a really key word, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus Right? So the apostle Paul says, how are we gonna live lives where we don't just live for our own selfish ambition and for our own conceit, considering just our, uh, our needs and interests above others? He says, in order to do that, we have to take on the mindset, we have to take on the mindset of Jesus Christ. Right? And what he's gonna go on to show us in this passage is he is going to show us the habitual characteristic mental attitude that determined how Jesus interpreted and responded to circumstances, his mindset he defines it. So look what he says, verse six. This is the mindset of Jesus, who, Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God, the Father. And so notice here in this passage, the apostle Paul says, I want you to take on the same mindset of Christ. And then he goes on to define that. And from verse six to 11, you have quite possibly... I mean, let's just be honest, maybe one of the most beautiful descriptions in all of scripture of the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this passage, some passages just soar. And this is one of them. And you have this incredible description of who Christ is, of what Christ did and the result of what that was. And what the apostle Paul says here is he says, this is the mindset. Of Jesus, I want you to notice something really interesting. Uh, just kind of point this out. Some of you, maybe you have an analog Bible in front of you. Actually, have a physical copy of the Bible. If you do, and you have Philippians 2 open, you might notice that some of your translations, you'll see that verse 6 to 11 is indented it's formatted differently. Does anyone have a physical Bible? Do you notice that? Do you notice that your Bible's intended? All right, if your Bible does that, let me explain what's behind that. So the reason it does that is because Bible scholars would look and they would actually say that when you look at verse six to 11 in the Greek language, it is very clear that that is a poem or it is a hymn or it is some kind of, um, some kind of song because of the way that it's laid out in the Greek language. And so what scholars believe is they believe that the apostle Paul is actually quoting that verse six to 11 is a quotation of a song or a hymn or a song that would have been, or a poem that would have been recited by the early church. So every time Christians would have gathered together, like in settings like this, they would have sung this song. And the lyrics were verse six to 11. And it was a way of reminding themselves of what Jesus Christ had done for them. And here's what Paul says. And I think this is so awesome. Paul says, this is not just a song to be sung. And this is not just to be a hymn that's to be recited. This is not just a theological truth to be memorized. He says, this is a attitude and this is a mindset to be adopted. In other words, what Paul says is this, this passage is not just about what Jesus did. It's about how Jesus thought. And it's about how we think too. And what's the mindset of Christ? Well, if I could put it in my own words, I might simplify it and say this. I think Philippians two tells us, this is the mindset of Christ. Christ's mindset is this, my privilege poured out for your advantage. This is according to Philippians chapter two, simply put the mindset of Christ. This is the habitual characteristic mental attitude that determined how Jesus interpreted and responded in every relationship, in every circumstance. Jesus's life was defined by this mindset. My privileges to be poured out for your advantage. I mean, you think about the life of Christ, this summarizes his mentality. My privileges to be poured out for your advantage. And you notice in Philippians two, you see this same flow. So notice first and foremost in Philippians two, it says something about Christ's privileges, says something about Jesus's privileges. Look with me again at verse six. It says that Jesus, this is huge, being in very nature God. Wow, okay, so those are some powerful words. I wanna wanna just kind of help you out here. If you're a person that's investigating Jesus, so maybe you're someone who's not quite sure what you believe about Christianity and you're still kind of trying to pursue some answers on that. Can I just tell you that as it relates to the person of Jesus Christ, that when you read the Bible and when you read Jesus's claims about himself, The Bible has no allowance for understanding Jesus simply as a philosopher or simply as a religious guru or simply as a prophet or a man of incredible influence. The Bible claims incredible things, incredible things about who Jesus is. Notice what it says. It says that he is in very nature God, God himself. And yet the Bible says he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, rather he made himself Nothing. What's that talking about? It's referring to the incredible privilege of Jesus, the incredible privileges. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. Some of you have the NLT, and this is how it says it in the NLT. It says, though he was God, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, right, to hold on to, He didn't look at his privileges as something to to latch onto, to hold onto, to protect and to preserve, but instead he gave up his divine privileges. He gave those things up. And some of you are like, well, like what kind of privileges are you talking about exactly? Like what were the divine privileges of Jesus Christ? Well, we could do like an entire sermon series for a year on that topic, but how about this? Let me just give you a few verses that I think give us some window into the privileges that belong to Jesus Christ. So how about this one? Colossians one says that Jesus, the son, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. This is what the Bible claims about Jesus, okay? In him, all things were created. That in Jesus, everything that was created was created in him. What is that talking about? It's talking about his incredible power. In incredible power. All things were created in him. Look at this. All things have been made, created through him and they're made for him. They're made for him. What's that talking about? It's talking about his incredible resources. Jesus has in incredible power. Jesus has incredible resources. It says that thing, all things are made in him and all thi- in him all things hold together. Incredible power. Colossians 2 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. What's that talking about? Jesus has incredible position. He has incredible power, incredible resource. He has incredible position. Look what John says. It says that Jesus was with God in the beginning, that Jesus is pre-existing. that Jesus had incredible comforts, that he was with God in heaven. All of the comforts and luxuries of heaven were his. He knew of no pain. He knew of no suffering. He knew of none of those things because he was with God in heaven. And yet the Bible says that through him, all things were made. Look what Hebrews says. God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, look at this. It says that through Jesus, he made the universe. What is that saying about Jesus? Man, I'm telling you, it's talking about his incredible Privileges. Jesus had incredible power, incredible position, incredible resources, incredible comforts. He had incredible rights. All of those things were his privileges. And yet here in Philippians, it says that he took all of those privileges and he decidedly poured them out. He poured them out. In fact, that's actually the word that the Bible uses. In Philippians chapter uh, two, verse seven, it says, rather he made himself nothing. Some of you have translations that say he emptied himself. And empty himself is actually probably a better translation. It actually comes from the Greek word. The Greek word is the word kinu. You don't need to remember that at all. But some scholars actually call this passage the kenosis. It's actually famously called the kenosis. And kenosis is a Greek word that simply means to pour out. And so this is the great outpouring of Jesus so the Bible tells us that Jesus took his privileges and he poured them out. And for what reason did he point them out? Did he pour them out? Well, the Bible tells us for this reason, for you and for me. And he decidedly looked and assessed and evaluated what was accessible and available uniquely to him. And then he chose to pour that out for what purpose? For us, for our advantage. He saw our sin. He saw our separation from God. He saw our need. And he chose to take it upon himself to make it his problem. Jesus could have easily looked at us and said, it's not my problem. It's their fault, it's not my problem. But he took a different path and he said, no, I'm gonna use my privileges and I'm going to pour them out and I'm gonna leverage them for the advantage of others. That's why it says in this passage that he took on the very nature of a servant. That is such a powerful word. The word servant that's used there, some of you might have translations that say he took on the role of a slave. And what that word literally means, it carries this idea of being devoted to another person to the point of disregard of your own interests. Uh, Jesus chose to think not about his own interests, but to consider the needs of others as above himself. And the Bible says that he took this nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. The word humbled himself, that means lowered. But Jesus condescended. He took on the form of a human. He took on flesh and he entered into our situation so that he could kneel down and be with us. He came to us on our level. He poured out all of his divine rights so that he could be here with us. And the Bible says that he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus came and he did the hardest thing. He obeyed God even to the point of death, sacrificing himself that we might go free. And the Bible says this, this right here, personifies and exemplifies not just what Jesus did, but the mindset that he would have carried into everything that he did here in this life. And what's awesome about this passage is that it concludes by saying this. It says that therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and he gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So basically God the Father sees that Jesus decidedly, selflessly acts in this, this way of love And the Bible says that because of that, God, the Father, exalts the Son, exalts Jesus. God is greatly praised and we are greatly impacted. And we have the forgiveness of sins and we have a right relationship with God because of this incredible act of love of Jesus Christ. And again, here is what Paul is saying. He's saying this needs to be the mindset that those who follow Jesus pursue, that we need to take on the same mentality as Jesus. This is the heartbeat that kind of goes behind it, but here's the problem, and I think all of us know this. The problem is that this mindset, the mindset of Christ is so absolutely contradictory from the way that we naturally tend to think. It is so antithetical to the way we are hardwired from the time we are born. Right? The way that we tend to think, our mindset, kind of our default mindset as people, and this is just true of everybody. And I think if you have kids, you know this is to be true too. This is the default in every single one of us is we think this way. We think my privilege, so we think my resources, my power, my position, you know, my whatever, is to be protected, it is to be defended, it is to be preserved, it is even to be demanded for what purpose? For my advantage, so that I can get my way for my interests to be met, for my needs to be fulfilled, for my preferences to be the ones that are exalted above everybody else's preferences. This is the default of our heart. The default of our heart is selfish ambition. We do not want to consider the needs of others above ourselves. we wanna consider ours first. And that's just true of every human on planet earth. But Jesus comes in and he demonstrates something totally different. And because of Jesus's incredible love, he has revolutionized the world as we know it. And so when we say we do hard things, this is the mindset that's behind that. This is us collectively, for those of us who follow Jesus, this is us collectively saying, we want to be people who pre-decide that we are gonna be committed to pursuing the mindset of Jesus Christ. That we're gonna be people that when we're given two options, And one option is that we can hold on to our resources and we can hold on to our comforts and we can demand our preferences at the cost of other people. And the other option is that we can lay those things down for the sake of other people, that we are purposely and decidedly gonna do the hard thing. And why? Not just because we enjoy doing hard things, but because it's what Christ has done for us. And because we believe that just like God used Jesus's sacrifice to exalt himself, to impact us and to transform the world, that God is gonna use that same mindset in us to impact other people, to transform us and to glorify God. And so we're gonna make a decision. We are pre-deciding we're gonna do hard things. We're gonna choose to give up of ourselves to invest in others because we wanna bring hope where hope is hard to find and we believe that God is gonna be exalted through that. We wanna be people who are so wowed by what Jesus Christ has done for us We wanna be people who are so gripped and so transformed by this incredible love that Jesus has that it cannot help but start to pulsate through us and show up in the relationships that we have. And I'm just saying, once you get a hold of this mentality, once we get a hold of this, it starts to flesh itself out in our lives and in our relationships and our circumstances personally, and it begins to flesh itself out corporately. So for example, practically speaking, what does it look like When the mindset of Christ begins to get a hold of a person's heart, how does that begin to flesh itself out in relationships in real life? Well, let me just get real practical. I think it shows up in everything, but just to help you out, let me just get real practical. So uh, let's just start here. Um, If you're a student in this room, so let's say you're a middle school student or a high school student or a college student or whatever. I know school just started back up for you. So that's uh, kind of a bummer, but um, it's good. (laughs) Sorry, sorry to be a... A killjoy. But so, yeah, so how do, you take, how do you take this mentality and how does this mindset begin to change you in those settings? All right, well, how about this? What if in your school or at your university or at your middle school or whatever, what if you evaluated what are your privileges? What are the So for example, what, what level of influence do you have? Maybe you're someone who shares some level of popularity. Maybe it's a lot, maybe it's a little, I don't know. What are your comforts? Right? Maybe you have a peer group that you're you're just real. Com- you've been friends, tight knit friends for a long time. They're the ones you sit with whenever you can. They're the one. They're they're your safe group. When you walk into school, you look for them because that's that's kind of who you're comfortable around. What would it look like if instead of taking your comforts and taking your influence and taking whatever amount of popularity you have and simply holding on to that to secure for yourself? your own comforts and for your own advancement, what would it look like for you to say, I wanna take those things, whatever I have, and I wanna pour it out for the advantage of another? What would it look like if you said, you know what, I'm gonna deliberately do something hard. I'm going to leave the comfort of my friend group, and I am gonna use my influence, and I'm going to sit down next to the person that no one else is gonna sit down next to. I'm gonna befriend that person that actually might hurt me, might hurt my popularity. What would it look like if you did that? Why would you do something like that? Why would you purposefully make yourself uncomfortable? Well, here's why. Because we do hard things. And we believe that that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us that Jesus left the comforts of heaven, that he spanned the universe to initiate a relationship with us and to invite us in. And so we, we believe that when we do that same thing, when we do the hard thing of leaving our comforts and leaving and leveraging our influence, and we do that to help befriend somebody else, we're actually acting like Jesus and that God can be greatly glorified, that, great, that person can be greatly impacted and we can be transformed. How about this? If you're a middle school student, high school student, college student, you still live at home, What if you took this mentality home with you? What could that look like? Well, here's what it could look like. You could evaluate your privileges. You could say, you know what, I have free time right now. I have some free time. You might look and you might say, I have energy. But if you're a college student, a high school student, you can stay up till like three in the morning and get up at nine and be totally fine. i was telling you, that's awesome, I'm so jealous that some of you, you can drink an entire pot of coffee and go to bed And that's amazing to me, that's a miracle, all right? You have incredible energy. And what would it look like if you said, I'm gonna take my youth and I'm gonna take my time and I'm gonna take my strength. And rather than just using that for my own advantage, rather than just using that time to you know, just play video games or just pursue the things I wanna pursue, which is all fine, right? But what if I decidedly said, I wanna actually pour that out for the advantage of another person? So what if you went to your parents? If you're a high school student, middle middle school student, what if you went to your parents this afternoon? You had some free time and you just went up to them and you said, hey mom, hey dad, I got some free time. I'm an able-bodied young person. I don't know why you'd ever say that, right? (laughs) Is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything I can do to help And can I just tell you this, we've said this before, but it's worth saying again. If you are a teenager that follows Jesus and your parents do not believe in God, I'm telling you, if you said that to them, that that moment they would confess and believe that there is a God in the universe (laughs) and that he loves us and that he will come and visit us. You will believe that in that moment. It makes an impact, why? Because it's so abnormal. This is not the mindset that we naturally have, but this is what it means to put on the mind of Christ, to have his mindset. Um, How about this? If you're a married person in this room, I know some of you might be in that situation, what would it look like? Just imagine with me for a moment, what would it look like if you pursued the mindset of Jesus in your marriage? I'm just telling you, so many marriages operate in the opposite mindset is this. So many marriages is me looking at my needs, it's me looking at my, my you know the things that I desire, and I'm demanding those things for you to meet for my advantage. So many people enter into marriage that way. Here's my needs, here's my desires. You are responsible for serving those and taking care of those for me. And if you don't, then that's it. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, that's not God's picture. What if if you as a husband or as a wife took on this mentality? You said, you know what? I'm gonna use the uniqueness of who I am. And I'm gonna leverage that, my resources, my time, my abilities. And I am going to pour that out to consider your needs as above my own. And none of us are gonna do this perfectly, but can you imagine what that could do in your marriage? I just wanna tell you, that's God's picture. It's what God's, now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you hear me say that and you're like, but you don't know my spouse, all right? They don't deserve that. They don't deserve my service. They don't deserve that at all. And let me just tell you, you might be right. They may not. But can I also tell you this, that when Jesus humbled himself and he poured himself out for us, we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing we did to earn that from Jesus. He did it on his own. I'm just telling you, when we are gripped and we're moved by what Christ has done for us, we own that. And we we don't demand that from another person, but we begin to live that out in our marriage. I'll tell you, I think this, we can just talk about, you can do the math. I think this shows up in the workplace, Think about how this might impact your relationship with your coworkers. I think we could talk about how this impacts your neighbors, how you interact in your neighborhood. I think that this is a mindset that shows up even in the minutia, in the small nuances of life and even little things like where you park your car. You're like, what are you talking about? All right, well, let, me, let me see if I can help you with that. I was thinking about something this past week when I was reading this passage and I actually couldn't help but think of a person. And the person I thought of is a person that some of you might know if you've been coming to Grace for a while, um, but you might not know if you're newer. His name is Jeff Bogue. I don't know if you guys know Jeff Bogue. Jeff is the senior pastor of Grace Church. So when we say that we are a multi-campus church, we have eight campuses. We have a senior pastor, his name is Jeff Bogue. And if you don't know Jeff, um, I'll actually show you a picture. This is a picture of Jeff uh, right here. And, uh, now, uh, how did that get in there? That's not him, this is Jeff. Okay, that's him for real. And, uh, and let me just tell you, um, uh, don't let the picture deceive you. He's actually a great guy. Uh, but Jeff, <laughs> I like to pick on him. So Jeff is actually, um, I've had the privilege of working with Jeff for about the past 15 years in ministry. He has been a mentor to me. He has been a friend to me. He's been a pastor to me. And uh, this guy means a whole lot to me. But can I just tell you something about Jeff, if you don't know him? Jeff is actually a very accomplished person, uh, just personally speaking. He's just a very accomplished man. So he is, um, he's extremely educated. Uh, Jeff is a PhD. Uh, He is doctor. He is Dr. Jeff Bogue. Uh, He's an author. So he's actually authored several books. Um, He is a prolific speaker. He gets invited to speak at conferences nationally, uh, regularly. And he is, and I'm not exaggerating this, this at all, he is probably uh, the greatest leader that I have ever personally met. I mean, just from a leadership standpoint, he is gifted off the charts as a leader. He is, um, he is sought after to consult from churches around the world because of his incredible wisdom and because of just his experience. He's, he's just a really, really great leader. Here's the thing about Jeff that uh, maybe you wouldn't know because I have the privilege of just knowing him personally. One of the things that's impacted me the most over the past 15 years with Jeff, it's actually not his books. It's actually not his preaching and it's not even his leadership. Those things are amazing. But the thing that has impressed probably me the most about this guy is that he is a person who pursues the mindset of Jesus Christ. When you talk about my privilege poured out for your advantage, I have seen this time and time again in his servant leadership. And I was actually thinking about one of, the little, one of the little things that he used to do that has made a huge impact on me. Like I said, probably more than any sermon he's ever preached, this has impacted me so much. I remember when we were, I was, um, he and I were on the same team over at the Bath campus for a while. And I was uh, helping lead the college ministry and he was the senior pastor of the church. And I remember uh, the church was growing. So we had four services on the weekend. There was two on Saturday and two on Sunday. And we were out of parking. So we were having a parking issue. And so I remember we, we came up with this makeshift solution and we said, we're just gonna you know, make a parking lot, a gravel parking lot in the back. And it was, um, it was awful, the gravel. We called it the gravel pit. It wasn't professionally done. It was done by like Cletus and his uncle, like one weekend kind of thing. And so it was you know uh, crushed limestone. It was super potholy. And so whenever it would get wet, there would just be like standing water everywhere. Uh, It was one of those things where, because we live in Northeast Ohio, if it's winter, it would just freeze and it would just be like a blanket, just a sheet of ice, you know? And if you ever got out of your car and you walked through the, through the gravel pit, your shoes would get dirty. They'd get muddy if it was wet. They'd get dirty and dusty if it wasn't wet. And, and then if it was icy, you know, you kind of risked your life. There was puddles everywhere. So you would get, you know, um, you get kind of, you know, this wet sock thing going on. There's nothing worse than that. It's soggy socks. I hate that. And um, I watched Jeff. I watched Jeff every weekend. And he never said anything about it. I just watched him. I'd watch him pull into the parking lot. No one else was there, empty parking lot. I'd watch him pull his car in. I'd watch him go right to the gravel lot, to the gravel pit. And I would watch him park in probably the most inconvenient spot of the mall. And I would watch him get out and I'd watch him get his shoes muddy, get his socks soggy. And I would watch him walk into the church and then he would go on and he would preach four services that weekend. And he never said anything about it. I tell you that impact is so small That spoke so loudly to me because you know what that is? That's the mindset of Christ. What's he thinking about? What was he thinking about when he pulled in that parking? I'll tell you what he was thinking about. Other people. He was considering the needs of others above himself. He looked at that spot and he probably thought, hey, someone's gonna have to get soggy socks. Someone's gonna have to get muddy shoes. Someone's gonna have to be inconvenienced and risk their life on the ice capades. Someone's gonna have to, so it might as well be me. It might as well be me. And he poured out his rights. He poured out his privileges to do that. And I just tell you, it made a huge impact. It's the mind of Christ. It shows up in everything that we do. And so I just want you to think about it. What would it look like for you to take that, this same mentality into every avenue, every circumstance of your life? What would it look like to take on this mindset? We do that personally. We do that corporately. We do that together. How do we do this at Grace Church? How do we pursue this mentality together? Well, I can just tell you, man, this shows up in a lot of different ways. We talk about doing hard things. So what does that look like? Well, one of the ways this shows up is we talk often about the importance of those who follow Jesus pursuing serving. Man, serving. Serving within our church, serving within our community, serving within life groups. That's all deeply significant. Why? Because we believe that that's what it means to pursue the mindset of Christ, It means that we need to be people who don't simply like to be served, but who look at our own privileges and think, how can we pour these out to serve other people? We do that here on the weekend in a lot of different ways. So many people who volunteer, so many of you who give your time and energy to serve, what is behind that? It's this mindset. My guess is, for example, this morning when you pulled in, there probably was some people out there, some friendly people who helped you park your car. They probably were smiling at you and they, at least I hope so. And they probably helped you find a, a parking spot. Now let me just ask you, why would they do that? Why would, why would these guys purposely go out there, give up their time, their privilege, they've they, they got, it's their time. They could do whatever they want with it. Why would they give that up? Why would, they, why would they sometimes endure blazing heat and sometimes freezing cold? And because we live in Northeast Ohio, that could all happen in one weekend. Why would they do that? And I'll tell you why. It's because they're thinking about you. They're thinking about you. And they're considering you as more important than themselves. That's what they're doing. It's the mindset of Christ. They could easily park their own car and come in here, enjoy being served just like everybody else. They said, you know what? I'm going to decidedly lay this down. It's the mindset of Christ. We're saying we're gonna do hard things and we're committed to it. I'm gonna bring hope or hope is hard to find people who serve coffee, people who greet. We go on and on about how that works. My goodness, the people who serve back in power kids, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. (laughs) Do hard things, right? But aren't you so thankful that there's someone who's saying, I'm thinking about you and my hope is that if I can pour out my time and my energy to invest in your kids, that that act of self-service might result in God getting greater glory in you being impacted and in us being transformed. I'm telling you, it's a mindset that permeates who we are. We're pursuing this together. We're not doing it perfectly. And the band that's up here, one of the things I love about the, the, the musicians up here, man, our, our musicians are amazing. Week after week, I feel so blessed by them and what they've come to bring and offer. Incredible musicianship. But did you guys know that our musicians, they'll get together on Wednesday to practice for the weekend. It's Wednesday night to practice. They come on Saturday at three and then they do two services on Saturday, they do two services on Sunday. They don't get paid to do that. What are they doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're saying, we're gonna take our privilege. We're gonna take our gifts, our musicianship, our abilities, which is amazing. And we're gonna pour it out for what? For you because they believe and they hope that by that act of service, that, that might impact you. It might make a, make a difference in your life and result to God, in God's glory. Student ministries, man, the same. We can just go on and on about how this plays out. I was talking to one of our student ministries volunteers this past week, and I love what she said so much, and I asked if I could quote her. Here's what she said. She said this, she said, student ministry is pretty hard and can sometimes feel hopeless, but even if we never see the fruits of the labor, I'm learning more and more every day that God loves these students a million times more than I ever could. It's all about just showing up and saying yes, even through the failures and the hard stuff. I love that. You see what she's saying? this is my predetermined yes. I'm going to do hard things. It's gonna be tough to work with middle school students, right, hallelujah. It's difficult to work with middle school students, but she's saying, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to do hard things. Why? Because God loves them so much. But then she goes on, she says, there's so much joy too. I love working with students. Almost every time I tell someone that I serve in youth ministry, I get a response like, wow, good luck. Or good for you, I could never do that. I like what she says. She says, it kind of bums me out. Because it sounds like people have just kind of given up on youth at a time when they need hope and love and intentionality the most. I am so thankful that this young lady is serving our students. I'm so thankful for that mindset. What is that? That's the mindset of Christ. I will inconvenience myself to bring hope where hope is hard to find. This can show up in so many different ways as a church. This is why we talk about disciple making, right? Disciple making we talk about as often is me pouring my life out intentionally for the growth of another person spiritually. As some of you, some of you grew up in the church, and you know the Bible, and you know Jesus, and you know what it means to follow him. What a privilege that is. How awesome would it be to take that privilege and decidedly pour that out in the life of another person? So, so huge, so awesome. This is why um, we have people in our church who will give up vacation time to serve at kids' camps during the summer. People will use a week of vacation and they will go to Mazatlan, Mexico work with our partners there to bring hope where hope is hard to find. They will use their time and energy and they will leave and go to Uganda, Africa to work with Sanyuka and the children's ministries there to pour into those things. We are decidedly going where hope is hard to find and we will inconvenience ourselves to do that because that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is why we work with organizations like Oasis of Hope here in Medina. We wanna bring hope where hope is hard to find. This is why we work with Safe Families foster care and adoption and those, why would we choose to do that? Why would we inconvenience ourselves and pour our resources and our time and energy into those things? It's because we're choosing to do hard things because that's what Christ has done for us. And this, by the way, is why we do campusing. And so here at Grace, one of the things that we do is we are pursuing 30 campuses in 30 years. And in so doing, we're saying we want to plant more and more campuses in communities that, where the gospel is not clear and accessible And so there will be times, and in fact, here even at the Medina East Campus, there's going to be a time very soon that we're gonna look at the people of Grace Church and again, we're going to say, would you be willing to take your resources and your time and your energy, and would you be willing to make yourself uncomfortable to bring hope where hope is hard to find and to start another campus somewhere else? We will look at some of you and we will ask you, are you willing to go? Are you willing to uproot your family? your comforts, the things that you're so used to around here? Are you willing to sacrifice hearing me teach almost every week? That's an incredible privilege, right? Some of you are like, (laughs) I'll go next week. That's fine, right? (laughs) But why why would we do that? Why wouldn't we just choose to be comfortable? Because Jesus didn't. And because of his sacrifice, we have been greatly changed. We do hard things. When we're given two options, we're gonna choose the one that no one else wants to tackle. We intentionally go where hope is hard to find. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you so much. Thank you that you are the ultimate example of what it looks like, Jesus. You reached out to people who were unlike you and you went to places that were not as secure and as comfortable as heaven. And so you came to us and you gave and you served and you poured out for our sake, for our advantage. And so Jesus, we don't just want to be people who are recipients of that, but we also wanna be people who take on that same mentality, the same mindset as Christ, that it shows up in our lives. So Father, would you help us with this? Would you help so grip our hearts with your love and with your example, that we would follow that same example into our lives, into our marriages, into our relationships, into our circumstances, into our job, into our world, that we might look like you and be like you. Thank you, Christ. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you did not cling on to your privileges and that you didn't just forget about us, but that you came to us and you saved us, that you brought hope where hope is hard to find. So thank you, Jesus. I pray you transform us and change us. We ask it in Jesus' name.